We left off after verse 13, so I'll be reading verse 14 through 21, Romans chapter 15. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to uh, Ilersum, I don't know if I said that right. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Father, we just ask uh, for your spirit, the spirit of the living God, to speak now from your word. Lord, we know that your word alone Just being read has power, even if we didn't make any comment on it, Lord, it has power in and of itself. And we pray, Lord, already that you would speak and already are speaking. Prepare our hearts, and Lord, not only would we learn, but we we would apply that which you would have us to hear from your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled our time in God's word, God-Given Motives. God-given motives. You might say, well, I, didn't, I didn't see that in the text. Well, hopefully you will. Um, we have a, all of us have a lot of motives, don't we? For whatever we do. Motives for why we work out. Motives for why you like to do a certain hobby. Motives for why you said what you said. That's a bad one, isn't it? There's a motive for almost everything that comes out of your mouth. And sometimes plain stupidity takes over, right? Uh, but, but usually there's a motive in what we say and what we do and how we act and who we choose to invite and who we choose to not invite and who we choose to do things with and where, uh, where we go, how we spend our time. Motives. Paul, just like you and I, has the same 24 hours in a day and the same seven days a week. But his motives, what drives him? And you have to think about yourself as well. What, what drives you? What, what is it that motivates you to do what you do? I mean, some people uh, are really diligent about going to bed early. What motivates them to do that? Some people are really diligent in their devotions. Some people are really diligent in sharing the faith. All of these different things from a spiritual perspective as well as things that are, uh, have lesser importance but Paul, obviously, and he wrote, uh, you know, Luke wrote, the to- Luke wrote the most total volume of the New Testament in two books, Acts and the book of Luke. But Paul wrote the most as far as total number of, uh, you know, percentage of books. And he wrote all the epistles, not all the epistles, but he wrote uh, a number of the epistles. And obviously, he wrote Romans here. And Paul was certainly someone that was 
very, very focused on the Lord, doing the work of the Lord. And we see some of that here uh, in his uh, wrap-up. The the remainder of 15 and all of 16 is the wrap-up to all that he has already taught. And we've gone through the other chapters. Uh, He's bringing things to a close. uh, Not the final words yet, but uh, leading up to the final words. And these are things that he wants to leave with the Romans, as we'll look at tonight, next week, and the week after. If you're taking notes, we'll look at three things here in these few verses. Uh, First is building up. The second is bringing glory. And the third is brand new. Building up, bringing glory, and brand new. Three things that were motives of Paul, uh, but they they weren't motives that Paul created. They were motives that God gave him, and he chose to pursue those motives and pursue them in a godly manner. Uh, we all have motives. No matter what happens, you're going to have motives. Good ones or bad ones. True? So you might as well have godly motives. And that would be an understatement. We absolutely are going to have motives. So our motives, if we're going to have them, and no matter who you are on planet Earth, you're going to have motives. They have to be driven by the Lord. The wind behind those motives has to be coming from the Holy Spirit. It has to be the Holy Spirit giving us the motives that we have, and we'll see this uh, clearly. Starting in verse 14, under building up, if you're taking notes, um, Paul says in uh, verse 14, I, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. This is a great statement. Uh, if someone who is an apostle, and there was only 12 of them, if someone's an apostle tells your church, this is what my estimation of your church is. I'm confident that you, brethren, are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to admonish one another. That's, that's quite a statement. If you go back, turn with me, see, you see it yourself, turn back to chapter 1 of Romans. Go all the way back to the beginning. Paul says something in the opening uh, that's quite complimentary as well. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 8, starting in verse 8. What does it say? Chapter 1, verse 8, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. This Roman church is growing, and growing well. Because not every church has that testimony. This isn't true of every epistle, right? Some of them have gone off the rails, but not the Roman church. We believe that the Roman church was founded by uh, Jewish believers that were at Pentecost. If you go back to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there was Jews there from all over the world, the known world, to celebrate Pentecost. Some were from Rome, and we believe when they went back to Rome, More than likely, they were the ones that brought the gospel first. But the majority of the Roman church was Gentile. Majority of it. They had had Jews and they had Gentiles, but the majority of the church was Gentile, though probably the foundation or the starting point. But nevertheless, Paul was well aware of their testimony secondhand. You know, he knew people that had come from Rome, even Priscilla and Aquila, 
had come from there, and they, remember, uh, they had come there, and Paul had met them, and no matter who he had met, apparently, the testimony of the Roman church was strong, that they were full of goodness, that their testimony was well known. Boy, if you can be a testimony in Rome, you can be a testimony in Las Vegas, Rio de Janeiro, New York, because Rome was the top of the heap, monetarily, status, aristocracy, wickedness, and the Roman church was strong that Paul was speaking of, which is a good thing. He he encourages them. If you see people doing the work of God and they're growing in their maturity, let them know from time to time. Not every minute of every day. That's not good for them either. But it's good to encourage people from time to time. Let them know the blessing they are. Let them know, man, I can't believe what I've seen God doing you over the last couple of years. It's good to encourage people. Do you think that if, even if they were strong in the Lord, how they would feel getting this letter from one of God's 12 apostles? It's encouraging. Because not everyone in Rome's encouraging them, I can tell you that. Right? The local Romans that aren't saved... Well, it's just like being in St. Petersburg, Russia, or Tokyo, right? Or places where there's not, there's not a lot of believers. You're, you're on an island, quite literally. Uh, it, it's becoming that way more and more in our own country, but it was definitely that way in Rome. But he encourages them. He notes their, uh, their pure living, full of goodness. Just that they weren't, they weren't perfect, but full of goodness. They were known as a pure church. People knew that they were not saying one thing and living another. Honky-tonk on Friday night, church on, sat- or, you know, on Saturday night, church on Sunday. That was not the Roman church. They were known as they really had abandoned their old ways and were now living for Christ. They had spent enough of their past lifetime doing the work of the Gentiles, as Peter wrote. And so they really were living for Christ, full of goodness, with knowledge. They were growing in the... In the Scriptures, remember, they didn't have a New Testament, but they did have the Tanakh, and they did have the witness of the other apostles that had been given to them. And so they were growing in the knowledge of the Lord, knowledge of truth. And they had discernment. When he says, you're able to admonish admonish one another, the, the first thing there is discernment. Because a lot of people don't know how to admonish at all, Right? He says, you actually know how to admonish. But now the word admonish, uh, nutheteo uh, is the word. Nutheteo, Greek word, it means to warn or exhort. It's either. It can be a warning or it can be an exhortation. An exhortation is an encouragement. Uh, most of our admonishment as believers should be in the form of encouragement. Most of it. Uh, but there are times where it's necessary to warn. Just as a parent, uh, most of, I think, I was thinking about this, almost all the warnings I give my daughters, there's not even discipline being applied. Most of the warnings are done in calm times before things have gone wrong. Right? (laughs) That's what a warning is. It's before it goes wrong. Someone's getting bit by a shark. You should get out of the water. You know, uh, that's a little late, right? A good warning, 
a good admonishment, just like encouragement is encouraging people. They weren't asking to be encouraged, and Paul said, your faith is strong, let it keep growing. But you also know how to admonish each other. You have discernment that uh, we should know how to strengthen one another, how to warn one another. Um, warning's important. You know, you see somebody saying, yeah, uh, in love. Yeah, I just don't, uh, I, I don't have time to uh, get together anymore. I don't have time to go to the men's Bible study or something like that. A gentle, war- gentle warning say, yeah, hey, I understand. It, it, it's, it's tough. It's busy. But keep in mind that without that, the following could set in. It's just, that's when you love somebody. I, I have those kind of discussions with my daughters about all kinds, whether it's homework or whether it's, you know, uh, the stove, the burners on, whether it's, uh, you know, you name it. Some are, some are just uh, warning, uh, just habits. Don't, don't keep doing that. It'll become a habit. Those kind of things. These are just admonishment, encouragement. That, that, that they would know that, that really in a family, because the body of Christ is a family, real family that love each other are able to help each other become stronger. And Paul says, you're able to do that, and it's a good thing. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So you can see that admonishing comes right in line with teaching and singing to each other and encouraging with each other. So majority of the time, uh, it again is that kind of encouragement. 2 Thessalonians 3.15, though, says, Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That your brothers in Christ, even when they're doing something that isn't real wise, they're not your enemy. You have a love relationship. You gently admonish. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren... Warn those who are unruly. Uh, why do we warn? Because you know, we, don't want, uh, we don't want them to have judgment or consequences that are avoidable. Now, people who really, uh, as far as the, the difficult admonishment, there's you know, kind of a scale of admonishment. <laughs> you've got encouragement over here, and then you've got those difficult uh, discussions on, on the far end. Uh, people that really love the Lord don't really want to have them, but do it because they love the Lord and they love the person. People that don't love the Lord and just really have a big head love to have those discussions. And that's problematic in and of itself. The person who's constantly admonishing people in a negative way uh, is the last person that probably should be admonishing people. But the person who genuinely doesn't like to do it, like the parent that doesn't like to discipline and yet will because they know it must be done, uh, it's very valuable. Matthew Henry, he wrote, How gladly would ministers leave off their admonishing work if people were willing and able to admonish one another? Would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets, but that which is everybody's work is nobody's work. He was finished that up uh, with kind of a a statement of the fact that uh, everybody thinks somebody else will do it. But the reality is, you can't wait for other people. You encourage somebody. You write a note of encouragement. You warn when it's needed in a gentle, loving way. You encourage, 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 but also draw to attention, especially those of you that are mature in the Lord. It's important. 
Now, Paul recognizes that um, under this building up, even though they really, comparatively to many other churches, are strong in all these areas, walking in purity, growing in truth, and even able to disciple and bring each other to new steps of faith and growth in the Lord. Wouldn't you agree that I don't care how long you've been with the Lord, you could grow more? And you want to be, you're here tonight, if you think that you couldn't grow more, you probably wouldn't be here. But the fact that you're here, I, I think I can grow more in the Lord. I must grow more before the Lord. Uh, I'm still here, so God must want me to grow. Same is true for me. I can, learn, I can learn by meeting a Russian pastor I've never met before. I can learn something in a matter of minutes. I say, thank you, Lord. I can learn something every day. Something I've read in the Scriptures a million times. I can learn again. I can hear, turn on the radio, hear from some other pastor. You name it. We can always be learning. Well, Paul knows that they're strong and knows that they're growing, but he knows that Satan will never stop. Just because you have matured, do you think Satan's done attacking? <laughs> Are you kidding? He's got all the time left to do one thing, and that's to continue not... He does not run out of ammo until he's thrown into the lake of fire. That's it. Until he's thrown in the lake of fire, there won't be an end to the enemy attacking believers, whether they're strong in the Lord. You think he said, well, David conquered Goliath. He did all these things. We'll leave David alone. No. We'll leave Paul alone. No. So Paul knows that even though the Roman believers are growing, they still have more growth. They haven't matured to Paul's level. They haven't been through the trials Paul's been through. They haven't been through the battles Paul's been through. Although they've been through a lot, I'm sure. But he knows they still have a work that's not complete, although it is growing. It is maturing. That's why he says in verse 15, Nevertheless, kids like when their parents say, You kids are doing really good, but (laughs) everything you're doing, you're doing fantastic. No no one likes to hear this. People in the job, your boss gives you a review. You had a fantastic year. Everything, you were doing great, but can't handle one nevertheless. Now they... I believe they handled it well, and we can handle it well when we know that, uh, thankfully, the Lord, uh, God's work is nothing like a job interview. Uh, it is not about performance-based. It's more like a tree just fertilizing it so it grows bigger and stronger. That's why Chuck says that uh, the church is a garden, not a factory. It's a gentle process that the Lord is wanting to see us built up. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you. He's like, I I know that you've heard some of these things you've heard before. I'm reminding you because of the grace given to me. A lot of grace has been given to Paul. He's like, you know, no matter how much grace I've been given, I need new grace daily. The Lord needs to... Do you need to... How many of you need God to remind you of things you already knew from Him? I need it all the time. How many of you read a verse and you long forgot that verse? And you said you would never forget that verse. Because it was so cool, it jumped off the page, you wrote 8 million things around it, you highlighted it, and three weeks later you can't remember what book it's in. Right? 
think it was about third way through, or was that Old Testament? And then you get on a call and you want to use it, but you don't know where it is. You paraphrase it. Paul's like, I know that you've heard these things, but I'm reminding you. And I'm going to speak more boldly. He said, I'm going to be, because you're mature, I'm going to give you a little more meat, which he did. How many think part of Romans is pretty meaty? Just chapters 9 through 11. Wrap your mind around where Israel and us being grafted in all fits together. I understand it at some level, but parts of it I'll wrestle with for years. It's heavy stuff. Even Peter said this. Peter said some of Paul's things are hard to understand. This is what Peter said. And some twist it to their own what? Destruction. That's what Peter said. Peter's like, you know, I'm a fisherman. And the Lord taught me a lot. I had the three years on the job training. But Paul, he's a scholar. And he writes some things that are deep. But the Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us what they mean, teaches us how to apply them. Paul was giving them these additional, uh, these additional points, but reminding them of things they did know. So teaching them some new, but also reminding them the fundamentals of our faith we've got to constantly revisit. Constantly. That's why the Bible is... I've said it many times, the Bible is the most repetitive book you'll ever read. It repeats itself over and over and over again. Why? Because we, we quickly forget. Colossians 1.28 says, him we, tre- him we preach, warning. By the way, that warning is the same word as admonishing. Exact same Greek word as I mentioned, theteo. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Paul's desire to build people up was that they would be perfected in the faith. Even if they were already growing, there was more that could be done uh, that they hadn't yet come to know the breadth and the depth and the width of God's grace and His love, and there could more be taught. And we know Paul says here as well in verse 16, ministry, he says, I am a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And re- remember that the majority of the church here is Gentile, Paul had a special calling to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 22, verse 21, uh, in speaking to the Jews there in Jerusalem, making his defense before he ultimately will be sent on to Rome. That wasn't how he expected to get to Rome, by the way, back in, uh, uh, or in Acts chapter 22. Paul had planned to go to Rome, which we'll see next week when we get into the second uh, or the third portion of chapter 15. Paul had planned a visit to Rome. He was really looking forward to getting to Rome and meeting the people that he had heard about, that he had written to, that he prayed for, that he had love for. Never met them. He loved them as if he knew them. By the way, you and I can do that with every Christian in the world. You can love them as you, even though you've never met them. Those of you that pray for the persecuted church, uh, the Lord will honor that someday in your life, and certainly in theirs as well. But Paul was looking forward to meeting them And the fact that they're a majority Gentile church, he was given, of all the apostles, he had this uh, very, very specific ministry to plant all those churches in Gentile areas all around the Mediterranean. He wasn't the only one that that went to Gentiles, but again, he had 
from the Lord a very specific calling to the Gentiles, which he cites when he speaks to the, uh, the Jews in Jerusalem. He says uh, that the Lord said to him, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Jesus Christ himself told Paul, I am going to send you to the Gentiles. So he had this burden to build up the Gentiles that did not have a long history of understanding the Old Covenant. And that's why Paul wrote so exhaustively in Romans to them. And he says, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering, remember we're in the book of Exodus, that the offering, think about when you set something on fire and the incense goes up, the offering uh, of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This is a very unique statement, even in the entire New Testament, what Paul says here, ministering the gospel as an offering. That the Gentiles would be the acceptable offering to the Lord. Uh, what it means, it, uh, the language, the Greek word here, as far as ministering, this Greek word in ministering means to minister in the manner of a priest, to minister in a priestly service. Paul is conveying the idea that God gave him a priestly service that what he would pour into the Gentiles, he would present like the priest would present the offering up as an incense to the Lord. It's very unique even in the entire New Testament, this concept that the Holy Spirit speaks to him of, and it's sanctified by the Spirit. That he would present to the Lord his desire. Remember, we're talking about motives here. His motive is that he would present to God a people that had been perfected, and it were a sweet-smelling offering to the Lord. Let's look at the second motive of Paul here, bringing glory. Uh, just a couple of verses on this one. Verse 17, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. Read that again. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. In verse 18, I will, dare, I will not dare to speak of those things which Christ has not accomplished in me. Paul wasn't going to make things up. He wasn't going to take credit for things that took place in other people's ministry that he had nothing to do with. You know, many wonderful things happen in the work of God that you and I have nothing to do with. In a larger sense, every single thing has nothing to do with us. But Paul's saying that there, there were things that other apostles, other believers had accomplished that he had nothing to do with, and he said, I, I have no credit whatsoever. I just, like the rest of you, got to see it and say, praise the Lord, enjoy it. Anything that took place in him, though, there were things that took place in him. Look at verse 19. And mighty signs and wonders by the power of God, so that from Jerusalem... Roundabout to, um, I'm not going to say the word again. I, I know how to say it when I'm sitting in my desk, but then I get up here and I look at the word and it's like, out the window it goes. What that is, I'll tell you where it is on the map. That's up in the northern part of Greece where he's talking about. So at this point, everywhere he's gone, in parts of Asia, which is modern day Turkey, wherever he's gone, the Holy Spirit has done some mighty things. Sometimes, even signs and wonders that the Lord has done that were amazing. That Paul said, 
but I had nothing to do with any of the power that came forth from this ministry that God gave me. In other words, if God did anything, if, if I got the chance to pray over someone and they were healed, he said, I had nothing to do with it, though I was the vessel that God has said, lay your hand on this person. All he's saying is that some things I, had, I wasn't even a part of. Maybe Peter did, or Stephen did, or Thomas did. Those things God did through them. But the things he did through me and all of my journeys, I'm as amazed at the rest of you, and I give God all the glory for it, that God would use me. When we give God the glory, we remain humble, don't we? Glorying only in Christ, giving him the glory. One of the principal problems of ministry in America, the face of ministry, uh, I was talking to Dima, he said something to me. He said that, that believers like him in places like Russia where it's only 1% Christian, he says, it's good to come here and meet strong Christians because we get very discouraged watching what we see from the American church. 90% of the nonsense on there is really prideful men. I mean, incredibly off-the-charts prideful men and women that's ministries are all about them. We're not even get into the money that they make and the jets and all that stuff. I'm just talking about their demeanor is prideful. It is all about they, what they've done. Blowing people away with their, uh, you know, with their hands moving like this and people falling backwards and all this other stuff and, and just looking like they're some kind of superstar. And our believers around the world that are true saints are like, is this what we should be doing? And Paul was like, God forbid. No, no, no don't do that. That's not of the Lord. This is something we have to do every day is to every day say, Lord, everything you've accomplished was you. Your glory. Don't, you can't take a day off. Think about this. You and I can't take a day off and say, today I won't give God credit. Now that sounds dumb to even put it in words, but we do it, we just don't say we're going to do that. We, we really can't take a day off and say, today I will not give God any credit, none. I'm taking all the credit today. And yet people will look back on a day where they did take all the credit. And there's the opportunity to give God credit again and again and again. By the way, the enemy wants you to take all the credit. Satan will give you more if you're willing to take the credit. But we don't want to work for him, do we? He wants you to take credit. He wants pastors to take big-time credit. He wants anyone in ministry to take credit. If they have a public persona, he wants them to take the credit. Because he knows that he will take them down, and many people with him. If our motive remains to bring glory to Christ, there's actually no limit to what God will do in our lives. And we really can see supernatural things take place. And we really can see the person healed we're praying for. And we can really see the person saved we've been praying for, if we're willing to not take any credit. Without question, though, the desire to take credit keep some people from ever coming to Christ in the first place. Because people know, when people are really convicted to come to Christ, they know they'll have to give up taking credit. 
They're going to have to go from being a somebody to a bit of a nobody. True story about, uh, you guys have all, y'all know who William Booth is, founded Salvation Army, started London, you're trying to reach people with the gospel. Uh, there was a doctor, sophisticated, well-educated, great income. Um, he had come to know the Lord, and it wasn't that long after he'd been saved, he's coming out of a beautiful dinner party with other you know, well-established Londoners that are lawyers, doctors, stock exchange, you know, all the big shots. Dressed up, it was around the ho- I believe it was around the holiday time, and he comes out, and he's recently saved, and he looks across the street, and there's a tiny group of disheveled, dirty Christians. And I can't remember if they were praying or singing. And the Holy Spirit just struck his heart, and he turned to the well-established group he's with, and he said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to retire and leave this evening. Those are my people over there. And that's where he went. See, the world doesn't want to do that because they want to take a lot of credit. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at the amount of money I've made. Look how smart I am. And as soon as they die, someone else takes their place. It doesn't matter if you're a Rockefeller or a Rothschild or you name it. But the Lord, Paul said, I'm not going to take any credit. And Paul had a lot of, I mean, good night, he spoke multiple, five or six languages. Signs and wonders were done through him. Planted churches all over the place. He could have shouted from the mountainside, I am the greatest apostle you have ever seen. Instead, he didn't do it, did he? He did the opposite. He remained humble. He even said in 1 Corinthians 4.13, he said, we have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. You don't, have, you don't have many people want to sign up for that either, by the way. In addition to remaining humble, why does Paul and why should we commit, be committed to bringing glory to God? I'll give you a couple. I'll rattle off for you. You can write them down. Uh, first one is gratitude. Gratitude. In addition to hum, humility. In addition to staying humble, the next one is gratitude. Uh, same chapter, chapter 15, look back at verses 4, 5, and 6, and 7 actually. Uh, the latter part of verse 4, that we've been given the comfort of the Scriptures that we might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he mentions to the glory of God again in verse 7. He mentions that we would have comfort, hope, patience. You can't buy any of those things. You can only receive those from God. Comfort, hope, hope of salvation. If Jesus doesn't come, we have no hope. So Paul's saying the hope of your salvation, the comfort of God, patience in a world that's falling apart, He's like, all these things come from God. That alone you should be grateful for and offer up glory. Because it says twice that you would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 6 and to the glory of God in verse 7. Same chapter, chapter 15. The other one, the next one, the next one, purpose. Purpose. Uh, one of the purposes of our salvation is to glorify God. 
Everyone agrees with that, right? It's one of the purposes of our salvation. It's probably the most primary because it all brings glory to God. Now, God loves us, but our purpose to glorify Him. How do we know this? 1 Corinthians 16.20 For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. God says, one of the reasons I bought you is to glorify me. What do the angels that didn't fall do nonstop? Glorify God. They never stop glorifying God. Those of us who are redeemed from our fall, the Adam Eve fall, will then join the angels that never did fall away and joining them in glorifying God. Their purpose is to glorify God. Ours will be as well, albeit we don't have the exact same purpose as angels. God has different things for us than he has for the angels. But nevertheless, both angels that are faithful and never followed after Lucifer and those saints that say yes to the Savior, both groups will glorify God and we're supposed to start now. (laughs) Not when we get to heaven, but you're bought with a price, one of our purpose. Next one, obedience. Obedience. Just because God says so, right? The old parents, why do I have to do this? Because I said so. Kids love that answer. It has so much depth to them. But God gives us that same answer sometimes, and he doesn't care if we want more explanation. I'll give you an example, Jeremiah 13, 16. Give glory to the Lord your God. No qualifier. There is, there is more to the verse, but give glory to the Lord your God. 1 Corinthians 1.31, Paul says, As it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. These are commands. They're not requests. They're just commands. Another one, another reason why we give glory to God. Purity. Giving glory to God keeps us pure. Amen? Pride is the beginning of every other kind of sin. Why do you think people fall into all kinds of other sins? Pride. What was the original sin of Satan? Pride. I will ascend to the Most High. Every other sin has come since. It was the gateway to all other sin. The love of money, that's just another form of pride. Right? The root of many evils or all kinds of evils. Pride keeps us from God, but purity keeps us from losing our way and falling into sin. Philippians 1.16, Paul writes, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely. Not everybody preaches with the right motive. The scriptures are clear on that. Just so you know, not everyone preaches with the right motive. Paul says some preach from selfish ambition to pad their wallet, to get on TV a lot, to sign books, to be able to write books that actually produce a lot of stuff, a lot of money, a lot of opportunity, but not sincerely. Paul says some don't even preach with any sincerity. They seem sincere. The Lord knows, right? Galatians 5.20, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresies. Four times in the New Testament, selfish ambition is mentioned. None of it is in a good state. <laughs> All four times is bad. There's never, in other words, you'll never find a good way to call selfish ambition. 
But you can't put it in a good light. It has no good light. Selfish ambition in and of itself is like saying, you know, uh, uh, a, a, fan, a, a, a beautiful murder. You know, it, it just doesn't compute. There is no such thing. Selfish ambition in and of itself is problematic and it will keep us from the Lord. But again, when we choose to glorify God, it helps us to stay pure. And the last one is position. Position. Glory belongs only to God. He alone is worthy of it. Amen? Glory only belongs to God. There is no glory that belongs to us. Paul knew this. He said, all the things he's telling the Romans, he goes, I've heard about you, but I bet you, he didn't say this, but the reality is they've heard about Paul too. That's why they're going to receive the letter and be encouraged. If you think they had a great reputation, Paul's is far greater. Amen? Paul had a reputation like a one-man spiritual wrecking crew. He goes and flips towns upside down. Talk about house flipping. He, does, he flips towns. But he's like, it's not me. It's not me. The Holy Spirit, the Lord gets all the glory for it. He said back in Romans 7, just a few chapters back, chapter 7, verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells. Now, if in your flesh nothing good dwells, but he says right here, therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus gets the glory, but his flesh gets none. Therefore, greater is he that is in me, or the one in me gets all the glory. All the glory goes to Christ. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Not you, not Paul. God loves Paul, but Paul can't receive God's glory. He can't. Remember when people tried to worship him in the book of Acts? He said, stop, 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 stop. Men and brethren, we're just people like you. And then Psalm 29, 2, give unto the Lord the glory due his name. His name. He alone is worthy. It's his positional title to deserve the glory. You and I must. We have to resist glory. We have to decline it. People will want to give you glory at times in your life. And, you, and it's okay to say thank you and appreciate, you know, because they're going to appreciate Paul's commendation of them. You're full of knowledge. You're good. But there's a difference in saying thank you and then being someone that is now desiring glory. Big, big difference. We have to train uh, our children, those in the faith on that, but we know that the Lord wants us to understand and distinguish the two. Last point, I've got to move quickly, and we'll just wrap it up with just a few minutes on this last statement that Paul makes. Uh, He's made it his aim, verse 20, to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest he should build on another man's foundation. And then he quotes here, uh, from the Old Testament in Isaiah 52, uh, ch- chapter 52, to whom he was not announced they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Uh, Oswald Smith, he was born in the late 1800s, he says, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. Now, I don't think Oswald... Smith was making a literal statement when he said that. Some people have actually picked his statement apart, which is not what he meant. You've got to understand, sometimes we say things to make the point, to emphasize the point. 
he was not making a literal statement that no one who's heard the gospel should ever hear it again until someone else. What he's saying is, uh, because frankly, no one has the right to hear the gospel even once, right? None of us have the right to hear the gospel. We've been given the grace to hear it. We don't have the right to know the gospel, much less to hear it or receive it. It's God's grace that has provided the gospel, provided His Son, and His grace allows us to hear it. So none of us deserve to hear it once, 20 times, 80 times, 100 times. The point is, from Oswald's statement, and I think Paul's heart as well, is that we must have an emphasis to reach those who have never heard. Amen? We have to have an emphasis to reach the unreached. There are people on planet Earth that have not heard the gospel. And even though I want to keep preaching the gospel to people who have heard it, relatives of mine, how about yours? Your neighbors, I've witnessed some of my neighbors a number of times. Will I never witness... I have decided I will not witness to you anymore until some guy overseas hears the gospel. Don't ask. That's not what Oswald was saying. I want to keep sharing the gospel with people who have already heard it 50 times and have yet to receive it. Amen? Because I heard it a lot from the time that I was yay big all the time. I didn't get saved till 26. God had given me many, many opportunities. However, once you do get saved, God gives you a heart for people who have never heard it as well once. And Paul had a burning desire to reach people who had never heard the gospel even once. You and I must pray that God gives us a greater desire in this. True? Because even if you're not the one that's going to go into a language area that you can't speak deep in the heart of the Pacific Ocean or somewhere out past Siberia, we need to be helping people that really are doing it and can get there. Paul, we're going to look at that next week. Paul will talk about those who have helped him get the gospel to there. You and I must play a role. We must care enough that there is a brand new group always hearing the gospel. That we would be very mindful of the unreached, and yet we will still be re-reaching the reached, right? We go into Bonaire. Some of those kids have heard the gospel Dozens of times from us before they got saved. Just this Saturday, I mean this Sunday night, we had a kid there that I know I won't, uh, he's been in Tuan's group for months now, a worshiper of Satan that prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to keep reaching the reached, but we must have a mind to the unreached. Amen? We must have Paul's hunger and desire. That's a motive that comes from who? God. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. If Paul had that desire, that's because he was so close to God that he mirrored God's desire that no one would, would be outside of hearing it. And one last thing here on this, and we'll come to a close, uh, as far as he mentions, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Um, a lot of people take this all over the place and in, in, in really wrong directions, I think. Um, this is a really misrepresented statement sometimes. Um, but the way, I, the way I understand this the best is that not only did Paul have a specific calling to go to places where the gospel had been preached, there was no other 
evangelist foundation. There was no other pastoral foundation. There was no other church foundation. Paul would go into places that were truly net new in reaching the gospel. And that, that's, remember that the first rule of Bible study is what does the simple text say? The simple text is Paul was talking mostly about places where there was no other preaching of the gospel, period. Case closed, brand new place. But he also went to places where there were already churches established and he built up believers. He's writing to one here, Rome. Right? Isn't, doesn't he want to go to Rome? Well, you'll see that in the next few verses. Doesn't Rome already have a church? Yes. So he will go where there's already a foundation. But he had a great emphasis to reach a lot of places that had no preaching and foundation. But the other thing I think is just kind of one of those things that the Spirit would have us understand is not building on another foundation is for you and I uh, to not try and be somebody else. Now, particularly for myself and other people that are pastors or evangelists, I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to try and be Chuck Smith. I'm not going to try and be Alistair Begg. I'm not going to try and be D.L. Moody or, or be the Apostle Paul. Now, I want to learn from them, but they have different styles. Some guys are going to speak louder than me. Some guys like to use a lot of humor. I like to use some humor. I'm actually, I do a lot more humor when I'm out of the pulpit than when I'm in the pulpit. That's just what the Lord's called me to do, although I like to have some humor. But there's guys that use more. There's guys, you have to, you have to be who God's called you to be. Don't build on somebody else's, well, I'm going to I'm going, to do, I'm going to act exactly the way so-and-so does to try and reach people. It may not work for you. You have to be the person. Now, there's not a new gospel. You should be preaching the same gospel, the same doctrine, the same truth, but in the personality and the way that God has created you to be, not to be somebody else. And the same is for me. Uh, if you try and do it on someone else's character or personality, it doesn't work anyway. You have to be let the Lord use you in the way that uh, He has created you to be. And I think, again, it's, the sa- it's, it's going to be the same message, but it's going to come off in the way that God's created you. Peter's going to preach a little different than Paul, a little different than Stephen, a little John the Baptist. You know, God's going to give them their own way of communicating the same truth. Same truth, different manner. Let's close in prayer.